0: Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, reality check radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' afternoon show at 1pm Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, reality check radio.
1: This is Reality Check Radio, RCR. Now, the police boss running the operation in Opotiki is doing his best to keep everybody calm, and he's probably right to say that the town is under control, although only just. It's true in that there are no marauding gangs on the streets, but, gee, the town's effectively paralysed, isn't it? The schools are closed, streets are blocked off, and the reality is that the town just isn't functioning because of the presence of all these gang members. This is another classic case of a soft-on-crime policy biting a government in the bum and having a major impact on a community. There is no way an entire town should be shut down just because of a gang killing. There was another apologist from the local iwi on the TV last night, Te Kahotu Maxwell, telling us that these gang members were from the same Whakatohia iwi. This is the iwi that signed a $100 million treaty settlement with the Crown Only six months ago. Obviously, relations between branches of that iwi are not that cordial. Oportiki does not deserve this. It's having a major aquaculture project developed in its harbour. That's due to employ over 200 people. It has the treaty settlement. The town should be in a boom time. So what's happened? Well, surely it comes down to attitude and leadership and, frankly, way too much sympathy for the gang connections. Nothing's going to change in Apotiki until the troublemakers are removed. Now, the Radio New Zealand newsroom scandal, whereby a story from the Reuters news agency was altered to give it a pro-Russian slant, was, we were told by the RNZ chief executive, Paul Thompson, limited to one series of stories on the Russia-Ukraine war. But now the lawyer, Thomas Cranmer, has discovered more examples of overseas copy being doctored, being altered. Now, these are stories about the ongoing Israeli-Palestinian conflict. For example, Reuters reported Hamas as running the blockaded Gaza Strip. The RNZ version, altered, said Hamas was the elected government of the Gaza Strip. Which is sort of correct, except that the last election was 17 years ago, and whatever legitimacy that result in 2006 had is well and truly dissipated. That was but one example of words and phrases being altered to present a pro-Palestinian angle. Under the agreement between Reuters and their clients, like RNZ, copy is not allowed to be changed to alter the editorial slant. So there are at least two contentious subjects where RNZ are changing things to suit their narrative, or rather the narrative of one of their digital producers. How do we know it's not happening, though, in other stories? RNZ's reporting on matters like climate change, vaccine passes and mandates, and Māori or iwi issues has been very one-sided for at least the last three years. We know that trust in the New Zealand media is at an all-time low. This fiasco at RNZ will lower it even further. A seriously, a seriously independent investigation is
0: called for over this, surely. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR. Reality Check Radio. I know that Fatma Samura
1: has to sell her game and she has to sell the FIFA Women's World Cup. But gee, for the FIFA Secretary General to say that this event in New Zealand and Australia starting next month will be the best World Cup, regardless of gender, is frankly gilding the lily quite considerably, is it not? You see, despite a huge PR and media push in recent times, this event is just not capturing the nation's imagination. Well, not yet, anyway. I think most of that has got to do with how useless the New Zealand team is. The reality is that since last October, they've gone nine matches without a win, scoring two goals in that time, but conceding 23. 23. Just think of the other Women's World Cups played here in recent times last year. The cricket hardly registered because the White Ferns were eliminated early. Yet the rugby was a great success because the Black Ferns won the tournament in a fairy tale. Now, my wife and I have bought tickets to some matches at the soccer in Dunedin. But, you know, when only 220,000 tickets have been sold so far for the 29 matches in New Zealand... Now that is looking at a whole lot of empty seats. It means an average of about 7,500 spectators a match in stadiums where the smallest capacity is 25,000. It could be an embarrassing look. But at least the players and the fans can wear rainbow armbands and flutter Indigenous flags now because FIFA's second-in-command says it's okay to do it because they want the tournament to be inclusive. Now, all this change in attitude will cause one of two things to happen. The showing off of social issues symbols will become so commonplace as to soon become meaningless. Or some fans will show up with signs that will annoy the hell out of the woke. And then what will happen? What will happen when the first woman to enter a stadium wearing a pro women's rights t-shirt is cited by the transgender activists? I mean, do FIFA really know what they're letting themselves in for here?
0: Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.
1: Now, here is the big statistic that hardly rated a mention yesterday. The net migration into New Zealand for the year till the end of April was 72,300, and this is above the long-term average for most of this century. This is the government, remember, that came to power six years ago, saying they were going to reset immigration, reduce the inflow of migrants, and therefore reduce the pressure on our houses, hospitals and schools. Now, Michael Wood, remember him, he's still the immigration minister, he says we are now having an immigration rebalance As we tackle labour shortages Michael Wood says this huge influx of immigrants Nearly 200 getting off a plane every day To stay here permanently Wood says this is a sign We are getting the workers to make our economy thrive and grow Yeah well he would say that wouldn't he But the fact is the population of Napier Arrived in New Zealand in the last 12 months Where the hell do they all live? Where do their kids go to school? New Zealand's population is now 5.2 million and growing. There are signs that things are slowing down a bit with the monthly number for April down to 5,800 from 13,000 in February and March. But it's still a major importation of people to a country with a shocking infrastructure deficit. No wonder the economists were suggesting this week the drop in the housing market has bottomed out because there's now a whole lot of new people Looking for a place to live. Uh, Some correspondence, which has come in through inbox at realitycheck.radio. This is from Rob, who is a regular correspondent in Tauranga. Peter, Wuhan Lab, just more smoke and mirrors. The Wuhan lab piecing together virulent strains, as you have just read out this Monday, the 12th of June, just before you signed off, was not active virus pathogens, but computer modelling of protein strains. So yes, while you could say COVID was created... In a lab, in truth, it wasn't. What was modelled and used as the most basic of respiratory protein chains you could ever get. The common factor was colds, flu, and respiratory infections have the common link. After that, it was all marketing and getting the narrative right across the world. But note, please, the computer model can be used and was by various labs. That is, mix the right concoction of proteins together and Voila! say marvel the computer modeling falls far short of any actual dna protein chain any talk about wuhan is therefore only more smoke and mirrors to cover the tracks of those that promote pandemics etc but it's allowed to continue because it is so convenient all right thank you for that rob Uh, that particular thinking about uh, the big story in the Daily Telegraph, uh, oh, sorry, the Sunday Times in London uh, last weekend. Uh, Some more thoughts here. This is from Tracy, uh, Tracy Winter, slash Laby. Uh, Thank you so much for interviewing Melissa. It was wonderful to get her story truthfully. I suspect, Tracy, you might be related to Melissa, but that's no problem. It was great to hear Melissa's story about How she was effectively chucked out of ice skating in New Zealand because she was unvaccinated and went off and found great satisfaction in the Netherlands and is doing so well. And a couple of comments about some of the music. Uh, Always thought that was a fantastic song, Hocus Pocus by Focus. Great drumming. That's from Ron. And then (laughs) this one has come in from an anonymous texter, The Tubes. Bloody great stuff, RCR Pete. You the best, bud. Thank you for that. And we really appreciate your comments on the music.
0: Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Uh, looking back to
1: last summer, uh, my wife and I and a few friends had a great day out at the Omakau Races near Alexandra on the second of January this year. It's an annual event. Uh, we enjoyed a few beers and wines under the trees uh, while taking a few trips to the tote to make uh, a usually a losing investment and and watch the the races. It's an incredibly popular day out for locals and holiday makers alike, but it was under threat. Because of rules about BYO, about bring your own booze. You see, the Central Otago Trotting Club thought it was going to have to get all sorts of legal advice and a court case to get a determination to see if it could keep allowing the punters to bring their own to their one day of racing per year. But that's all been changed now, thanks to a bill that went through Parliament last week. It passed its third reading, and it's off for royal assent now. The bill is called the Sale and Supply of Alcohol Exemption for Race Meetings Amendment Bill. Anyway, it's now law, and the chilli bins can be loaded up in central Otago again on January the 2nd next year. But this bill means that racing and trotting clubs around the country, which have three or fewer meetings in a calendar year, can have a BYO day out. You know, it's one of those bills which makes perfect sense and contributes to happy community activities. There are so many little country racing clubs around the country just, uh, which just would not exist if they had to go through the whole rigmarole of licensing regulations every time they held a meeting. So this is one occasion where we can say that the politicians actually showed some common sense and didn't let the politics get in the way. But the incredible thing is the bill was promoted and shepherded through Parliament by a National Party MP, guy called Ian McKelvey. He's the MP for Tiki. Uh, you've probably never heard of him. He's actually finishing up as an MP this October. This is his nice wee leaving present for us folks in the country. Thank you, Ian. Have a nice retirement. And thanks for the BYO bill.
0: You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Now, surely it is time that Kying
1: policy about its tenant's bad behaviour was changed, toughened up, and serial offenders chucked out into the street and, frankly, left to fend for themselves. That's my conclusion after reading the terrible story of the well-behaved, long-term KO tenant in the Auckland suburb of North Cross. She's been a good tenant, living what she hoped would be an uneventful life in a quiet suburb. But she had a neighbour from hell in another Kaienga Ora house who broke just about every rule of common decency and anti-social neighbourly behaviour that there is. Loud music, sending the dog into crap on the neighbour's lawn, having extra people staying at the house long term and abusing the nice neighbour. So twice in just over a year, Kainga Ora, a government department funded by taxpayer dollars, has had to pay the nice neighbour compensation for the antics of the dickhead next door. All up, it is $8,000. And get this, the perpetrator of the trouble, the dickhead, is still in the house next door after twice being told to leave. He might now be on his way, but, but why is Kaianga Ora so soft? And the original director around Auckland, Taina Jones, says she wants Kaianga Aura Homes and the communities they are in to be enjoyable places to live. And Ko Kainga is committed to strengthening their approach to responding to disruptive behaviour when it occurs. I'm sorry, there's only one word for that. It's bullshit. The next-door neighbour had been antisocial for over a year. Finally, he is being moved on, no doubt to terrorise someplace else. Frankly... KO should make him homeless. Sometimes you just have to be cruel to be kind. Kind
0: to the nice neighbor, that is. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.
1: Now, a philosophy lecturer and one-time junior tennis star named Ben Bramble wrote in The Guardian a couple of days ago that Novak Djokovic is not the greatest tennis player of all time. Well, a philosophy lecturer in The Guardian would say that, wouldn't he? How anybody could challenge the Serbian star as the most accomplished person ever to hold a tennis racket is frankly beyond me. He took until uh, last weekend's French Open to win his 23rd Grand Slam title uh, because he wasn't allowed to play in two of last year's majors. Due to his COVID vaccination status. And therein lies the issue. Because he took a stand to protect his body autonomy, which frankly every right-thinking professional athlete should do, he was denigrated by those who believed he should have kowtowed and buckled to government coercion. And my admiration for Novak Djokovic only increased considerably during last year. Carlos Alcaraz won the US Open title last year, but he did it in a field without Djokovic. So should there be an asterisk alongside his name and alongside that title? Of course not. It's a genuine title, and you can only play who is in the field. Novak Djokovic, remember, was just one match away from a calendar year Grand Slam in 2021 when he lost the US Open final. Who will bet against him completing that Grand Slam this year? Something nobody has done since Rod Laver in 1969. Djokovic is the youngest of the big three, one year younger than Rafael Nadal, five years younger than Roger Federer. But he won major championships against them both, and now he's outlasted them. It's not his fault the next generation are not yet ready to better him. And you measure greatness not just by the wins, But also by the number of second placings And Djokovic has not only won more major championships than anybody else He's also been in more finals than both Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal I like to base my opinions on evidence And the evidence, frankly, is absolutely clear-cut Novak Djokovic is undoubtedly the greatest tennis player of all time End of story I mean, frankly, what would the
0: Guardian know? You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts, 1 p.m. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
1: This is Reality Check Radio RCR. Now, this is not the most important issue in the world, but it's sort of interesting. I bought a bottle of milk the other day. When I got it home, I noted it had only one day left before its best buy date. Uh, But I decided years ago those dates, frankly, are arbitrary and don't actually mean all that much. So I'm more than happy to keep going for at least a week after the milk is supposed to be off. I actually think now that the date is there as a marketing trick to get people to pour the leftovers down the drain on the due date and force the milk drinker to go and buy another bottle. I mean, what a genius idea. But in the UK, uh, that's happening less and less now because Marks & Spencer are the latest to take the use-by dates off the milk so that people don't throw away the milk and therefore don't pollute the drains. But what milk suppliers in the UK are now recommending is is that you don't put your milk bottle in the fridge door because it's colder in the main body of the fridge and therefore your milk will keep for longer back there and in better condition. However, a poll in the Daily Telegraph last week suggests that most people pay absolutely no attention to that recommendation, to that advice. 90% of respondents keep their milk in the fridge door. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Because there's... A nice shelf there just for it, and it's easy and convenient to get the bottle out when you make a cup of tea. I wonder, though, how much longer the use-by dates will stay on New Zealand milk. But the message from the UK seems to be, don't worry about the old milk until it starts to smell. And apparently even then, it's really good in a pancake mix. Thank you for your company this afternoon. This is the Peter Williams Afternoon Show. I'm back again on Friday. I'll be talking to a man then who maybe is New Zealand's oldest person. He's a mere 105 years old, but I tell you what, he sounds like a man who is 30 years younger. His name is Bruce Powell. That's Friday afternoon, around about two o'clock. Enjoy your evening.
0: You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.